was, I was thinking this week just about Easter and, and how all of us approach Easter in, in probably a very different way. Uh, you know, we're all here for a variety of reasons, right? Uh, it's, I think it's just helpful just to name that right off the bat. Some of you came here with a friend, with a coworker, and you're just like, man, I don't know if I believe. I'm just kind of here at Easter. Some of you on the, on the other side of the spectrum, you love and follow Jesus passionately. And, and something we say a lot of times at Ethos is no matter where you are at on that spiritual journey, we want this to be a safe place for you to grow and discover Jesus more fully. And I really hope you feel that today. And uh, I, I would argue that a majority of us, no matter where you are at on that spectrum, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, uh, that a lot of us, even people that believe and follow Jesus, treat Easter just sort of like a cultural holiday. You know, it's like Walmart puts out the peeps three months too early, just like Valentine's Day and, and, uh, and all the other holidays. It's like, man, it's January and there's fireworks out at Walmart. Like, what's going on? And this is just kind of what our culture does. You know, uh, we do some cultural traditions. We wear our pastel colors, right? We go out to lunch. We hide Easter eggs and stuff our face with chocolate in the afternoon. And that's just kind of some of the things our culture likes to do. And that's good, you know, I'll beat you in an Easter egg hunt. I love some of these traditions, but that's not really why we're here this morning. I want us to be careful because if we don't really name it, especially like Joshua did earlier in our call to worship, it can just kind of be this celebration where we show up and everything just seems as much as a fairy tale, like the fictional character that puts chocolate in our Easter egg, Easter egg basket. So I want to be super clear as we begin, just to, just to really center our hearts, to center our minds, like why are we here what are we celebrating? We're not here to celebrate that winter is over and spring is here. Uh, we're not here to, to celebrate that, that it's, a, it's just a fun cultural holiday. We are here to celebrate that Jesus Christ is alive. Like that, that's what we're celebrating today. And that's a beautiful thing to celebrate. That's why we sing, you know, we sing these songs about Jesus. It's who, he's all we want because we believe like, he's alive. We believe the person of Jesus Christ is, is inviting us into a relationship and, and that we want to celebrate that. We believe that he was physically, historically uh, murdered and killed and hung on a cross on a Friday. And then on Sunday, like literally rose from the dead and now offers all of us new life in him. This is what we want to celebrate because this issue about Jesus raising from the dead is the issue on which everything hangs. It's the hinge on which all of us have to decide what we're going to do in life. Because in, in, in past years, we, we've spent some time unpacking some of the reasons we want to believe this, why this is so important uh, historically for us to consider. You know, some of the, the reasons we can place our faith in this historically or circumstantially, we've looked at the evidence, and all of that is so helpful and so important for us. But today I want to look at the Easter story, the story of the resurrection, in a little bit of a different angle. Uh, to come at it from a different angle than we might normally do on Easter, I want to look at Easter through the eyes of, of a particular disciple named Thomas. His story is recorded for us in the Bible, and, and I think it offers us this unique perspective of someone in real time wrestling what it looks like to hear the news of the resurrection and not know what to do with it, and to have to take a step, and to have to make a decision. So that's what I want us to do today. So we're going to read the backstory a little bit and kind of consider what, what's bringing us to his story and then we'll jump into to his experience with Jesus. So before we jump in, uh, you know, what's happened in the story so far is that Jesus has been crucified. He's been murdered on the cross, and he's been uh, in the tomb for a few days now. He's been placed in this traditional Jewish tomb that has this thousand-pound stone rolled in front of it. There's elite Roman guards standing guard outside, and that, that was all on Friday. So let's jump into our text this morning, John 20. That's uh, on page 528 if you're following along with us in our Blue Bibles. 
Start in verse one and, and read the first uh, 10 verses. It says, now on the first day of the week, uh, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, which I love that John who wrote this included that. He's like, just so y'all know, me and Peter were racing and I beat him there. Just for all of time, you're always gonna know that I won that race. Verse five, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, folded up in a place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So I just want you to picture this situation for a moment. Like put yourself in the shoes of these people, in the shoes of Mary or Peter or John. And this person they had spent three years with, like three whole years, has just been like brutally killed in front of them. Like you can get to know someone really well in a lot less than three years, right? Like I can think of some of my college buddies that I knew for less than three years and like hung out with a few times a week and I'm like super close to these guys. And just imagine doing life with someone, eating meals with someone, uh, just learning from someone for three years and then to have such a traumatic experience like this. Can you just imagine someone you loved died and then not just to have them die, but to, to go visit the graveside three days later and there's six feet of dirt outside of the graveside. It's like, this is a scary, confusing thing that's happening to these people. Uh, I can't imagine what they would have been feeling, this, this anger perhaps, like who stole this body? This man that we loved, we can't even care for his body in the way that we want to. I'll catch you up over the next few verses. Mary uh, waits outside the tomb. She was this woman who Jesus had just transformed her life. She'd been oppressed by all these evil spirits and Jesus just liberates her. And, and she's just weeping and, and just so, and, and so much grief at the, at the entrance of the tomb. And while she's there, she encounters two people that she doesn't recognize. And, and the scriptures tell us that they're angels. And they, they, tell her, they tell her that Jesus is not here. And she's just, it's not even a possibility for her that Jesus is alive. She's like, where's the body? You gotta tell me where they've put the body. She sort of turns to leave and she runs into somebody at the entrance of the tomb. And she realizes after Jesus says her name that it is in fact Jesus alive in front of her. Just this amazing moment, the first time Jesus appears to someone. And we can't, I don't want to overlook the importance of who Jesus is appearing to here. That the first person that he would entrust the news of the resurrection with is a woman. Because in their day, uh, women did not even have a valid testimony in court. Jesus just overturning the cultural gender stereotypes and saying, Mary, you are the first apostle. You are the first witness. Go and tell the disciples. This is your job. So she runs back to the disciples who are barricaded in this upper room. And they're all sitting up there. They're all so afraid. They're terrified. The scriptures will tell us that they didn't want the fate of Jesus to become their own. Like, what if they catch us? What if the Romans catch us? Are they gonna do the same thing to us that they did to Jesus? So they literally barricade the doors. They're hiding up there. You can just imagine the conversation. 
Like, where's the body? <laughs> like, what's going on? They're all freaking out. There's this buzz in the room about what's gonna happen. And Mary barges in. She's like, guys, I've seen Jesus. Like, I've seen him with my eyes. And you can just imagine the room's like, what? Like, are you kidding me? Like, what's, what's happening here? And all of a sudden, in the middle of this barricaded room with no windows or doors available to begin, in a moment, Jesus appears to these people. And he just says the words, peace be with you. I'd be freaking out. I'd be like, okay, that was not a peaceful moment that just happened. I'm freaking out. What is happening right now? Just imagine someone that not only that died and is, is now alive, but someone that you betrayed, someone that you abandoned is now showing up to you. Like the fear, like the worry. What is this person going to think of me? They needed me and I abandoned them. And Jesus comes with peace and with love and with grace rather than condemnation and anger. It's a beautiful moment. As it turns out, one of the disciples named Thomas was not there that day. Uh, He was so distraught by the events that unfolded in Jesus' death that I, I imagine it drove him to isolation. He didn't know what to do with this experience. So I want to read about his story and see how we can uh, just follow what his experience was with Jesus as well. Let's jump down to John 20, verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see, unless I see in his hands the mark of of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? For blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So just imagine the scene, you know, Thomas back with the crew after a week of hearing about what just happened, like ultimate FOMO, fear of missing out, right? Misses one meeting and they're like, he comes back, you know, he's never missing a disciples meeting ever again. He's like, I'm not gonna miss and he, he probably comes back and they're like, you're never going to guess who showed up while you were gone. It's like, what? Are you kidding me? You can imagine what would have gone through his mind. And I think Thomas would have fit, fit in well in our culture in this day and age, in this day of enlightenment, this day of reason and logic and rationality. You know, I have to see it logically. I have to understand it for me to believe it. Like, I hear what you're saying, I know what you're saying, and I I like that you had that experience. But unless I have that experience, I'm not going to believe. You can kind of hear how that that, uh, thread is played out in our culture as well. And this is where Thomas gets the nickname Doubting Thomas, which is just such an unfair thing that's happened to him. (laughs) Like, for 2,000 years, he has one bad moment that's recorded in the Bible, and now everyone for hundreds and thousands of years have um, remembered him in this way. I can remember in college... Uh, just one of my good friends had asked me if I had seen a particular movie that was out in theaters. And I don't know why I did this, but for whatever reason, I don't know if I was trying to be cool or fit in. I just lied to him. I was just like, yeah, yeah, I've seen that movie. Yeah, I went and saw it last week, you know? And, and I don't know what I was doing. And, and 
Unfortunately, he sort of pressed me on it. Like, I don't, I don't think he was trying to catch me in a lie, but he was like, oh, yeah, great. Like, what was your favorite part? I was like, ooh. <laughs> I was like, you know, the guy where, you know, him and the, and the, and the girl, they, they, uh, you know, they, they do the thing, and, and he just knew it immediately, and I had to just fess up and be like, dude, I haven't, I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> you know, and it was just, just a really shameful moment, and we got to, you know, have a conversation about it. And... Um, but you can imagine if he had gone through the rest of college, through the rest of our friendship for college, just kind of told everybody that experience. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I call him Lying Larkin. That's who he is. <laughs> just Larkin the Liar. And for the rest of my life and for all time, people are remembering, yeah, Larkin the Liar. Like, that's who he is. That's kind of what has happened to Thomas. And for the last, like, thousands of years, this is how this guy is known. It's the guy who doubted Jesus. And Christians have used this this character, this person in the scriptures, this disciple of Jesus, as a way to sort of negatively uh, portray people who struggle with their faith. Stop being such a doubting Thomas. Sort of a negative connotation with this person. What I hate about that is that it holds somehow that doubt is an enemy of walking with Jesus. As if following Jesus is a black and white experience. You either believe or you have doubt. That way of thinking, to me, doesn't provide any room for growth or for journey. The reality is, I think that doubt and faith often go hand in hand. It's often by questioning and wrestling with our faith that we discover the deeper areas of faith. Because there will always be mysteries of God, mysteries of believing, problems that we encounter in life, uh, pain that we suffer in life, struggles that we see in the scriptures and even in the people that follow Jesus that cause us to wrestle and question and wonder. But doubt is not the enemy of faith. I think that apathy would probably be a better enemy of faith than doubt would. And I believe Jesus knew this about Thomas, knew this about the disciples. Rather than chastising Thomas or scorning Thomas, scolding him for his doubt, Jesus is gracious and attentive to the desires of Thomas here. Jesus answers his questions, invites him into this moment, gives him the room and the freedom to believe on his own terms. I think what matters here is that Jesus took the time to meet people where they are. I was reading this story uh, recently about a woman in her 30s who had this amazing experience with God, just amazing spiritual encounter. She knew in, in that moment that God was like calling her to this deep, hard uh, journey that she was about to go on. And it was a moment that we all long for, just of spiritual clarity. It's like, here's what your life's about. And that's something we all would love to have. Just download it, just boom, that's what my life is about. And she went over the next 50 years and, and just does these amazing things. Just amazing things. She, she uh, just loved people so well throughout her life and, and all these stories recorded of it. But she doubted as well. We get to read some of her journal entries, some of her diaries, and she wrestled with her faith. She had what many Christian writers have called the, the dark nights of the soul. Sometimes she even questioned, like, is God even real? Is this what my life should be about? Even though that she had had that moment, that Thomas moment of, like, clarity about her life. Many people may have called her Doubting Teresa, I wonder. But we know her better as Mother Teresa, this woman who we know her life is known for faith and like commitment and service to God, right? We might see pictures of her and hear stories of her, and we're like, she must be so holy, she must be so full of faith, she must be so certain of what she's doing, but she was just like us. 
She was just like Thomas. This woman who felt a call to follow God, a call to put faith in God, but all the while wrestled on that journey. I wonder what Thomas would have told himself during that week between those two encounters with Jesus. You know, like, why can't I accept what the others are telling me? Like, why can't I believe it? Why do I have to see for it myself? I wonder if the next Sunday he thought about, like, not going back. Just like, ah, I missed out. I'm not one of them anymore. I'm the doubter. I'm the one who hasn't seen, the one who was left out. And yet, he went back. And maybe he went back because he had loved Jesus so much that he needed to hear those disciples talk about it some more, even if he wasn't convinced it was true yet. Maybe he went back because it was easier than being alone, or he went back because he thought maybe, just maybe, Jesus would come back one more time. For whatever reason, he went back to that community in his hour of greatest struggle and doubt. And just like many of you come here every week, you just keep coming. And that day, Jesus shows up to him, and he believes. So what about us? What about you and me in these black chairs in this really pretty building with the nice string lights that set the mood? Like, what about, what about us today on Easter in 2017? What does this story about this man and his encounter with Jesus mean for us? I want to read the last couple verses in John 20, and I think it points us to what this might hold for us. Let's jump down to verse 30 and 31. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that word Christ just means Messiah, the Savior. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have what? What's that word? Life. That you may have life in his name. John writes, he's like, I want to strengthen your faith. I want to strengthen your belief so that you can have life in the person of Jesus. And it doesn't matter where your starting point is on that journey. So today you come in here and you're on all sorts of places on your spiritual journey. Jesus does not scorn you for where you are. But he also does not want to leave you there. He doesn't want to just leave you in the place that you're coming to him today. Jesus tells Thomas, come here, like experience me, touch me, experience who I am. Have faith. And, and John echoes this by writing, I want you to have faith and life in Jesus. This is why I'm writing. This is the point of this story, that you may have life in Jesus Christ. Jesus would say over and over again when he was alive on earth, I have come so that you may have life, that you may have life abundantly. Anyone who believes in me will be saved from their sin. They'll have eternal life with me. So this is what we call the gospel. This is the, that, that word gospel just means good news. This is the good news of Easter, that when we come to Jesus, no matter where we start, we get good news in return. The good news that Jesus came to, came to earth as God and lived this perfect life, free from sin, and then chooses willingly, knowing all of our mess, all of our sin, goes to the cross so that we could be reconciled, made right with God. And that not only he stayed in the tomb for two days, but he was resurrected to prove that everything he said was true. The capstone of God's love that he would resurrect from the dead, give victory over sin and death so that we could have hope and also life in the here and now through his Holy Spirit. This is the good news of Easter and it, it is great news. And I think all of us want to receive this, but like Thomas, we're on this journey, right? We, we doubt all kinds of things about God. Maybe, 
Maybe you doubt whether God could actually love someone like you. Maybe that's where your place of doubt comes from. It's like, I've done too much, I've gone too far. Maybe you feel unworthy even coming in this place called church. You're just like, everyone has their crap together. You know, <laughs> I'm the one who's, who's messed up. You've been chained up to your sin or your mistakes and you just feel so far gone, too far gone to be accepted by God. Maybe, maybe external factors cause your, cause your doubt in your life. What would my family think if I were to like go down this path? What would my friends think? What would my community think? What would have to change about my life? And maybe like those disciples, you spiritually barricade yourself in a room so that no one can touch you. Maybe that's where doubt comes from for you. Maybe you're here today feeling like Thomas, struggling to believe if this whole thing is even real. I don't even know if, if this whole Jesus raising from the dead thing is true. You're hearing it just seems like a fairy tale, like Harry Potter. It's just like you know, the same type of fantasy story. You have so much doubt and questions. Deep down, there's something in you that wants to believe this story, to embrace whatever transformation it can bring you in life. But you're so enmeshed in your own doubt and your own questions that you feel like it has no meaning for you. You feel like the gospel is, is not for you. And there's good news today, no matter how you come into this room, that Jesus knew everything about you before he came to earth, before he died for you. He loved you at your worst. So today, if you come in this room at your worst, Jesus loves you still. He offers you this new life in him. That no matter how much you may try to spiritually barricade yourself because you're so fearful of what it might mean if you were to go down this path, that Jesus wants to, wants to come up to you today, wants to appear in that sort of barricaded room and give you his presence. If you come in here today like Thomas, doubting if this is even real, Jesus draws near you today, invites you to experience his true, and true real presence that is alive and in this room. Honestly, even as a pastor, I'm super thankful for a guy like Thomas in the Bible, right? Like I'm a pretty rational guy. You can ask my wife, Virginia, like on the spectrum, like I'm pretty far on the logic side, on the rational side. Can we just be honest? Like this is tough to believe sometimes that for thousands of years, like death and a tomb was the end of every human. And then Jesus shows up and he gets back up. And then he goes back to heaven, like ascends into heaven and sends a spirit, sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of our bodies if we believe. Like that's hard to believe sometimes. It's kind of crazy, right? Maybe you're not used to hearing a pastor <laughs> say, that, say that this is hard to believe. But I, I really believe that if we truly approach Jesus with the true and honest experiences that we have, that's where we're gonna find deeper faith. That's where we're gonna find deeper experience with God. But here's what I can tell you. I have witnessed the power of a risen and alive Jesus Christ in my life. I, like, like Mary, I've like encountered Jesus and not, I gotta tell people, like I have to bear witness to what I have experienced in my life. I've seen the power of God through the Holy Spirit literally transform my affections. I just transformed my life, taking my, my addictions of, of lust and sexual sin and just transform my desires, break me from that sin, give me freedom in his name. I've seen him take my pride and my arrogance and just break me of that. Still got a long way to go, but he, he's growing me on this journey, transforming who I am. I've experienced the joy and the peace of living for Jesus and not for myself, of having God at the center of my life, being free from worldly pursuits of what people think about me, having my identity secure in Christ. I've experienced the peace and the joy of that. 
Not perfect by any means, but I know that I've experienced and encountered this risen Jesus. I believe Jesus wants to meet each of you where you are today as well. So no matter how you came into this place today, spiritually limping in here, it's like, I barely made it through the doors. That's okay. Maybe you're full of doubt, perhaps full of faith and joy. No matter where, you at, where you're at, Jesus desires to meet you there. And he invites you not just to stay where you're at or to believe in some fairy tale, um, but invites you to experience his realness, to experience the trueness of his presence, the power of his presence today. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we believe that you're alive. And at the same time, we ask that you would help us in our areas of unbelief. God, we we come to you today uh, representing a, a whole spectrum of experiences with you, experiences with the church. Some of us have been so hurt by people that claim to know you. God, I ask that no matter how we approach you today, that you would just tenderly and compassionately meet us where we are. That you would invite us close to you. Invite us to experience who you are and how you're moving even in this room right now. God, I pray that hearts today that have been hard towards you, unwilling to take a step in faith, God, that they would be broken today and that you would invite them deeper into faith. God, I pray that you would do that in our midst today as we continue in worship. And we ask this for your beautiful name, amen.